Hi, and welcome back to Wire to Wire with Nolan RECC. I'm Communications Manager Sarah Fellows, and with me once again, President and CEO Greg Lee. Good to see you, Sarah. Good to see you, too. I'm really excited about the topic today. It's something that a lot of people have been talking about, so we will get to that. Uh, but before we do, we always start with a safety moment, and uh, I think I have a good one for this time of year. Mm -hmm. um, if anyone you know, gets out in their yard in the spring, digging is one of the things. You may be planting trees or shrubs, um, and you may be wanting to add maybe a uh, shed or something to your property, it's really important to call 811. Uh, it's a really easy thing to do. Let them know you're going to be digging and they'll have the utilities come out and mark that. Uh, but make sure and give it two to three days uh, to make sure that all of those get marked. So it's a really important thing for people to remember. 811 makes it pretty easy on people. Uh, most of the time that's a one-stop shop on contacting all of the utilities that might have a presence on your property. Uh, and it's important to give them a call, even if your digging seems pretty trivial to you, because very often, especially with uh, buried plant for telecom utilities, that stuff may only be six, eight inches deep. Uh, so using a shovel could get you in trouble there. Right. Um, and you don't want to cut your um, TV service during March Madness, obviously. Exactly. So be careful about that. But remember, when you call 811, the utilities are only going to locate their assets. So if you have um, electric service that is yours on your side of the meter, or you have buried drainage lines or piping or something of that nature, it's up to you to figure out where that is. None of the utilities are going to locate that on your behalf because they don't know where it is. Right, right. Well, we're talking today about solar energy, um, and that's something that if you've read the paper or listened to any discussions around town uh, in Hardin County and LaRue and surrounding, uh, really, in, really all over, um, people are talking a lot about solar energy, um, and it's an exciting topic for people to talk about, but we feel like there's it's, it's kind of a complex topic. So we want to be able to address some of the things that we've heard that maybe aren't exactly correct, um, and then kind of how we play into to that conversation. Um, so, but before we start kind of with the overall conversation about uh, solar energy, if you could distinguish for me between what a distribution co-op is and what a generation and transmission co-op is. So Nolan's role versus um, where we would get our power, say East Kentucky, which is a generation and transmission or a GNT. Right. Nolan RECC is considered a electric distribution utility. So we take um, electric energy from a point of supply, namely a substation, of which there are uh, more than two dozen located within our service territory, and we build the wires to people's homes, businesses, or point of delivery, basically anywhere there's a meter. So everything between a substation and the meter is our responsibility. In our application, we have a wholesale power supply contract with East Kentucky Power Cooperative. They are our generation and transmission provider. They either generate their own electricity, purchase it off of the PJM market, uh, and then they take that energy and they deliver it to us through transmission lines that they manage. And their territory ranges from east of I-75 uh, all the way to us. We're pretty much the furthest western part of their service area. Mm -hmm. um, but they have a massive footprint of which we are one of their 16 
owner member cooperatives. Right, so the bottom line is we don't generate our own electricity. We do not, but we purchase it all from one company. And right. in that sense, we are effectively a vertically, vertically integrated utility between ourselves and East Kentucky Power and what they provide for us. Okay, so people have been talking a lot about kind of utility scale solar power. Um, it's, it's a conversation that it's kind of surrounding a lot of land that's being bought um, and people are choosing to do that. And I wanna talk a little bit about kind of Nolan's relationship with the companies that are doing that. Um, and is that something that is subject to change? What, what our relationship is now with those companies and what it, it could potentially be in the future? Well, based on everything that I understand, the companies that are trying to procure these solar projects are independent, non-utility companies who specialize in the development of solar infrastructure that they then use to sell the energy produced from that back to a utility. So Nolan itself has no relationship with these organizations. Now we have had contact and communication with these organizations because from time to time they will reach out to us if they are interested in pursuing a uh, property or a parcel that we have infrastructure on. They may have questions about line relocation. Um, if any of those projects ever came to pass in this area, our only direct relationship with them could potentially be that they would need some level of electric service to power their ancillary equipment. And if it's in our service territory, we would be providing that to them. Mm -hmm. We would never be directly on a scale that has been discussed thus far. We would never be directly receiving that electricity from one of those solar developments. Um, if they qualify as a PERPA, uh, qualifying facility. There is a law dating back to 1978 that stipulates that an electric utility has to accept the energy produced mm. from one of those developments, one of those qualifying facilities, at a prearranged cost. And in our case, that would be East Kentucky Power. Um, so that energy may in fact go back through the utility system, but it would not be a direct relationship to Nolan RECC in that regard. There are also times that if there is economic viability of a solar installation like that, it may be worth a generation utilities, um, it may fit into their portfolio mix that it might be financially viable for them to want to purchase that energy. Uh, and that's some of what you're seeing with um, with certain solar setups up to this point, they want to enter into a purchase power agreement with a utility who then may be marketing that energy to a large corporation or company somewhere else in their service territory. Mm -hmm. It may be worth it to that company to pay a slight premium for the energy because they want to have a green or renewable portfolio or a carbon-free portfolio. Mm -hmm. So those are some of the economic reasons that this is taking place right now. Well, and some of the some of the things that we kind of hear, um, and you just hear in the community, a, a really direct relationship between Nolan and some of these um, 
providers who are, are hoping to purchase some of this land. But just to be really clear about what you said, it's not Nolin that is trying to purchase land. It's not Nolin that is trying to build these solar arrays. That, that's not an effort that we are out doing. Correct. Uh, any of those claims would be um, completely false. Uh, there has also been some suggestion at the social media level that utilities are against these solar developments. I don't want to speak for all utilities. It is my job to speak for Nolan RECC. Those claims that we're against this are false also. We have taken no official position on this. Um, and quite frankly, that's because we're not for it or against it. So really, as you said, we don't have a position in terms of, you know, solar energy is bad or solar energy is good. It's more about kind of looking at the pros and cons of that. So can you talk a little bit about that? What, um, there are pros and cons to, to what impact that might have on the community. Uh, so can you talk about some of those factors? One of the things that I have seen some um, on social media or public commentary is, you know, what direct benefits does this provide to our communities? Well, I, I don't know exactly. Uh, so if, if someone wants to draw criticism to that, I think that they probably have a little bit of a point. I don't know that it adds a significant amount of direct benefit to the community. Now, while all of us who own real estate have a certain civic responsibility to uphold, to not do things that are to the direct detriment of our neighbors or the communities that we live in, a landowner is not required to utilize their private property for public gain. So there are two valid positions that could be taken relative to that argument. It certainly um, indirectly, in theory, benefits us all, at least to the extent that you believe carbon-free uh, generation products are better for the environment right. than those that produce carbon. Um, there's a lot of science that would suggest that is true. Um, now, some people believe that the carbon output of uh, electric generation facilities is much more of a concern than others. Uh, but regardless, it would seem to make sense that those that produce no carbon are less harmful on the environment. Right. So with that being said, I think that one of the things that is at least something that I think about relative to these projects is the concern about what a landowners' rights are. Right. Um, and that, at its root, I think that that is one of the reasons that Nolin does not want to take a firm position. Solar energy is not a bad thing, and it is going to happen on a larger scale in years to come, and that is okay. From our position, it's important for us to offer electrical energy to our members at the most cost-effective price that we can. And as it stands right now, that's not necessarily the case with all types of solar products. Some of them are more economical than others, but to be able to provide energy all the time at 100% duty cycle, they are not as economically viable as some of our more traditional fossil fuel-based generation mechanisms. Mm -hmm. But back to those landowner rights, 
if a person who owns a piece of property uh, is willing to take the risk of signing one of these long-term lease agreements, keep in mind they also would have the benefit of whatever uh, sort of capital infusion that provides them. Right. But if that is a decision that they make, that's probably a decision that they should be allowed to make. Um, We've had some pushback here locally regarding zoning change, uh, conditional use permit, and to an extent I can understand the concerns of uh, those individuals who have taken a position averse to the development of solar. But at the same time, if we're going to be this critical about the development of solar, are we not also forfeiting our right to be critical of that property being sold in the future and subdivided for residential use or even converted for commercial and industrial use of some kind? Right. So I really think it's a double-edged sword uh, that we need to be careful about. I have a farm myself. I would not put solar panels on it right now at this point in my life, but it's not because I'm against the technology in any way. Uh, if I had a neighbor and they were thinking about selling their property or leasing it for solar, I would rather them lease it for solar than sell it and it be subdivided for a subdivision or maybe even some sort of commercial or industrial development. Right. I also try to keep in mind that a lot of the people, uh, the landowners who have been involved with some of these solar projects, they're at a stage of their life that they're viewing this a lot differently mm -hmm. than somebody like myself would. Um, at my age, I want my farm to be a place that myself and my family can enjoy ourselves. But if I was uh, an octogenarian or someone approaching that age, I might very well view that differently and start thinking about what is the best way that I can set this up mm -hmm. for my family's long-term uh, success in what would be in their best interest. Well, you have to think a lot of them would have come from farming that land for generations and and looking forward it might not be feasible or profitable to continue to do that. So, you know, certainly this would be one of those options that they might be able to consider. It's like we said, it's a very complicated topic. Um, I don't know that we often come on uh, on our podcast and talk about something that we can't say for sure, like this is exactly you know what we want to say about this because it is a very complicated thing, and um, I want to talk a little bit about the renewable piece of that. Uh, you talked about solar energy not being you know bad in and of itself, and and we do but through our power provider we do use some renewable energy. Um, again, we don't we don't generate it, uh, but it is generated, and, and we buy that through East Kentucky. Uh, but they have a full portfolio of of where they get their energy from, um, and that. that is something that people can view online, but I wanted to talk about that just for a minute because um, people are, people are talking about solar energy as kind of kind of maybe the the one solution. But when you really look at the reality of, of where energy is produced and and the reliability of it and and the longevity of being able to produce it, it again is a much more complicated topic than just throwing some solar panels up. And we're not talking about solar panels on my house. We're talking about large scale as opposed to a personal choice to put it on my house or something like that. Right. Well, I went back and looked at some numbers. Um, in 2020, the energy utilized by East Kentucky Power, 57% of it came from coal generation, 37% from market purchases, 3% from natural gas, and then only about 1% from renewable. 
the generation assets that they actually own and operate, 57% coal, 42% natural gas, about 1% renewable. They do have access to the entire PJM marketplace and there are many utilities that um, will put their generation assets into that marketplace for economic dispatch that can be purchased by any other utility that's in that grouping. That entire mixture, which takes up a large area in the uh, northeastern Atlantic and mid-Atlantic into the Midwest part of the United States, 33% nuclear generation assets, 18% coal, 41% natural gas, 6% renewable. Yeah. It doesn't have an, a significant market share yet across the country, but it does have more in the PJM marketplace than it does here in Kentucky. But East Kentucky Power, when it is economically viable for them to do so, will take good advantage of utilizing those resources. Right. Well, and, and their bottom line, is, as ours is, is to, again, bring power in the most economic way possible that is <coughs> as reliable as possible. And so they have to make those decisions when they do that purchasing. Right. And we're beginning to see, it is real, that there are some large companies that are making a commitment to um, spending extra money to ensure that a portion or all or much of their energy usage portfolio comes from renewable or carbon-free resources. We're not yet seeing that on the residential level mm -hmm. or the um, individual level that collectively people are willing to make that sacrifice of paying more to ensure that their energy comes from those renewable or carbon-free resources. That may happen someday. Mm -hmm. I think what's more likely to happen is the public desire in doing that in the economic um, ability of those renewable resources. We kind of reach this mesh point mm -hmm. and then you'll see a larger adoption rate takeoff, which may not be that far away. Right. Well, and certainly there's a lot of interest and a, and a lot of um, pressure on all sides to kind of get this figured out. And so <coughs> when resources come to bear, um, certainly that conversation will continue to move everything forward. Um, and, and we will continue to be a part of that conversation actively um, in whatever role we, we need to play in that. Do you have any other thoughts as we uh, kind of wrap up our time about this? Well, just going back to the very complex set of circumstances that surround this topic and, and all of the dynamics involved in that, I would want to be clear to everyone, we're not saying anyone is right or wrong. We're not taking a side. I do think that the parties who have taken a position in this are not necessarily totally understanding what motivates each other, and that's causing some of the uh, some of the disconnection on understanding whether this is a good thing, whether this is a bad thing, or whether it's just a thing. I think it's just a thing, and it's okay, and some people like it, and some people don't, but it's here, and it's probably going to happen a little bit more with time. Right, and, and the best we can do is to figure out where our role is in that and to continue to do what we do for our members. Uh, in terms of making the best decisions we can. We need to utilize it when it's economically viable to do so. Right.
Okay. Well, thanks for having this conversation with me. I know it's it's one of the harder ones I think we've had just because, again, it's just not cut and dry. Right. Uh, but I do think it helps to kind of clarify that. And, and this is a topic I am certain we will revisit in the future. Yep. So thanks for sitting down with me and thank you for joining us once again for Wire to Wire with Nolan RECC.